This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. I'm looking this month at the prayer life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter number 4 and in verse number 1, today I want you to look at the first mention of the prayer life of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 1, let's read together this one verse. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When you come to the book of Matthew chapter number 4, Matthew has one goal, one mind, one thought, one melody, and one song. And that is to present Jesus Christ to the Jew as the king of the Jew. He has one idea, and that is he wants everybody to know that this man born to Mary of Galilee is the son of the living God. He's got one idea. He's not wanting anybody to know he's a carpenter. He wants them to know he's a king. He doesn't want anybody to know that he goes down and he walks around the Sea of Galilee. He wants them to know he's a king. He doesn't want them to know that he can heal the blinded eyes and he can heal the withered hand and he can touch the withered leg. He wants them to know that he is the king. Now, it's interesting to me, before we ever read about any of the miracles of the Lord Jesus, and before we get into chapter number 5, 6, and 7, when we read about his teaching, when we read about his preaching, before we ever read about anything like that, you know what we read about? His praying. Before we ever read about him touching the blinded eyes, we read that he prayed. Before we ever see him touch the withered hand, we see him pray. Before he ever touches the broken, crooked legs, we see him upon his knees in prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to understand the predominance of prayer in the life of Jesus Christ. Before he did anything, before he went anywhere, before he tried to accomplish anything, we see this man pray. Now, the reason I bring that to you, to your attention this morning, is because we live in 2022. And we have become programmed to everything. We have committed out everything. We have processed out everything. There is a program for everything. But beloved, I remind you right now, we are not in the Lions Club. We are not in the YMCA. We are in the church of Jesus Christ. And anything of heavenly good that is ever accomplished in the church of Jesus Christ will not be accomplished by human efforts. It will not be accomplished by human ingenuity. It will not be accomplished by human methods. It will be accomplished because human people get on their human knees and lift up their human hearts to an eternal holy God in heaven in prayer. Anything you are, it will be because of your prayer life. Anything you hope to become will be because of your prayer. Now, you may make money, but money will not take you to heaven. And money will not meet you in heaven. I didn't say you won't have a nice house and a wonderful car. And hear me now, I'm not against any of that. I like nice houses, especially if you invite me over to it. I enjoy good food, especially if you're buying when you offer me an invitation to eat. I love nice vehicles, especially if it's got them air-conditioned seats that makes you feel like you've wet your britches when you've ridden inside. I love all of that. But that's not what any of this is about. It is about giving your heart, life, soul, and mind to the loving Lamb of God. And if you live that way, anything you accomplish will be by 
prayer. When you come to Matthew chapter 4, look again at verse number 1. That first word in verse number 1 is the word then. You know what that means? That means this has happened because that has happened. This is being accomplished because that has just occurred. So in order to see in verse number 1, as Jesus is led out into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights, you've got to ask the question, as Jesus prayed, so do I. So when did Jesus go and pray? Because if it says he went then, then you got to know when. Because if you don't know when, you got to look back at then. And if you want to know then, then you'll accomplish the when. So if you want to know when, look back at then. So when in the world did Jesus Christ pray? There's three times of three things that happened in chapter number three. Number one, the first time Jesus went to pray here in Matthew 4 was after his unveiling. In chapter number three, at the end of the chapter, here is what happens. John Wildman, baptizer, clothed in that camel girdle, wrapped about with a leather skirt, has honey running down his beard. He's a wild man from somewhere. People do not know where he got his power, his message, or anything. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River at Beth Bara. I've stood in that place, and I imagine as I see him dunk him down, I wonder what people were thinking. Has he dunked him down? He'd say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Has he dunk him down? He would say, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sin. As he's dunking a man down, he looks up the riverside and here he comes. He looks at him and he says, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And in that moment, in that second, in that millisecond, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was announced to all of Israel. Now had that been you and I, when we had just been unfurled in the sight of all of our kings, all of our princes, all of our nation, that it was us that God had sent. You know what we'd have done? We'd have gone on a book tour. We'd have scheduled a 25-city tour. We'd have rented out Colosseums and said, it's us. If it had been many Jews, they would have gone and got them another regalia. They would have gone and got them another robe. They would have gone and got them something that would announce who they were. But you know what Jesus did when he was announced who he was? He went aside and he went asunder and he went and he prayed. Is it a wonder to anybody when you see the next big thing arise up on the scene and he shoots up like a meteor and all of a sudden the next thing you know he's fallen in a scandal. He's been messed up by publicity. He's messed up with women or he's messed up with money. You know why? Because if you ever want to be great up high, you've got to be anchored down low. If you're ever going to shine in the sky, you've got to have an internal source of fuel and that comes through prayer. After his unveiling, he goes to pray. Now you say, well, I'm not a preacher. No, you're not. But there'll be times in your life when God unfurls to you what his will is for your life, what he desires you to do. And a lot of times what people will do when that happens, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a date, whether it's a job, whether it's a situation, a school, instead of walking headlong into that thing, trying to make it happen, resort back to pray and to seek the face of God. Number two, after he was complimented, he went to pray. John's baptizing there in the river Jordan. And as he's dunking people down, he looks up and he says, Behold! You know what that word behold means in the Greek? It literally means look away from everything else and turn your attention to something special. 
You see what John said is, look there, he ain't nobody like him. Ain't nobody like that man. You're going to read, you're going to hear. He's got words like no man's ever spoken. He's got eyes like no man's ever had. He's got ears like no man's ever seen. He's got hands like no man's ever touched. He's got ideas like no man's ever had. He's got a mission like no man's ever accomplished. He's got a father like no man's ever, ain't nobody, ain't nobody like that man right there. If he'd have been a Baptist, if the Lord Jesus had been a Baptist, when John said, ain't he special, it he wonderful? Isn't he fantastic? Isn't he just absolutely above it all? You know what he would have been if he'd have been a Baptist? Jesus would have went, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's me. Oh, yes, sir. I'll tell you right now, you sing a song and somebody says, man, that was the best I've ever heard that song. Yeah, I know. I ain't never heard a sermon like that. Isn't it great? Isn't it amazing? After your best things always come your worst things. Am I, am, I, am I the only one cooking with this peanut oil this morning? I can have the best Sunday, the best message, the best idea, the best thought, only to be followed by the biggest flop on Monday. I despise Mondays when Sundays have gone good. You know what that means? There's going to be a flop somewhere along the way. You need to do one thing with a compliment. You do the same thing you do with a compliment that you do with a criticism. Chunk it out the window. There'll be times when people criticize you. Throw it out the window. There'll be times when people tell you how sorry you are. Throw it out the window. There'll be times when people send you messages. Throw it out the window. The same thing when people compliment you. Throw it out the window. When people tell you how fantastic you are. Throw it out the window. When people tell you how absolutely irreplaceable you are. Throw it out the window. You know why you throw criticisms out the window and compliments out the window? Because neither one of them are God's will. If you're criticized and somebody tells you how sorry you are, how bad your work is, how useless you are. You need to remind them, I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm not useless in the sight of God. Jesus Christ sought me, bought me, and wrought in me a good work. So they're not telling you the truth. Here's the problem. When they compliment you, they ain't telling you the truth either. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Why don't they wrap you up and say you're on a shelf then? I'm just asking a question. When somebody gives you a compliment, you don't let it go to your head. You plant it in your heart so that it grows into a praise to God. When somebody tells you that was the best message I've ever heard, you better lift up your head to God and your hands to God and say, yes, thank you, Lord, for being so good to me. When somebody says that that's the best work I've ever seen done, you better lift up your hands and your hearts to God and say, wow, God, I can't believe that you've blessed me like you've blessed me. Anytime you've been complimented, you better take it to God in prayer. Number three, after he got a word from God. The Bible says that Jesus comes up out of the water and the heavens open up. And the Bible says that God speaks for the first time in the, Old, in the New Testament. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, had that been me and I'd just gotten a word from God, I would have gone on a massive tour right then. When Jesus got a word from God, you know what he did? He went into the wilderness to pray. There'll be times in your life when God reveals His will for your life. There'll be times in your journey when God shows you the path He wants you to take. There'll be times in your day when God shows you the direction He wants you to walk in. Instead of trying to walk in that direction immediately, go to God and give it to God and say, Lord, show me your will. Show me your path. Show me your ideas. Show me your thought. Show me your direction. God, I need you to show me what you want me to do. Now, I know what people are saying to me this morning. They say, Preacher, why in the world are you telling me this? I'll tell you why I'm telling you 
to this because we've got too many churches filled with too many baby Christians that are too happy just drinking milk all the time and they have no maturity and they have no spiritual aptitude and when their world falls apart they find somebody else to go pray they find somebody else to seek God for they find somebody else to get a hold of God for you do realize right now there's not a man or woman in this room that has greater access to God than anybody else in this room how many of you this morning would testify unashamedly I have been saved by the grace of Jesus and he is my Savior and Lord wave at me right now if your hand is raised right now you have just as much access to God as I have access to God you've just got just as much an open door to God here's the difference between you and the other people it's not that they have better access they've just figured it out this morning, I'm not interested in having baby Christians. I'm not interested in having immature Christians. I'm not interested in having a bunch of Christians that have come for the show. I'm not a clown, and this is not Barnum and Bailey. This is not Ringling Brothers. This is the house of God, and we're not raising up cruise ship Christians. We're raising up warriors for the cause of Jesus Christ, people that can march down to the gates of hell, take hell by the gates, rip it open in the pyre of the Lord Jesus Christ's name, and tell the devil where he's going forever and where you're going forever, and take people to the other side with you but you're only going to do that through prayer I want to give you four words this morning on the prayer life of the Lord Jesus from chapter 4 verse number 1 because if this is the first mention of Jesus' prayer life then it's going to set the stage for where God wants us to go write down these four words I pray that they'll help you number one if you're going to pray like the Lord Jesus you're going to have to separate. Watch what the Bible says in chapter 4 and verse number 1. Then was Jesus led up. Say that phrase with me. Then was Jesus led up. That Greek word led up, I'll put it up for you so that you can write it down. It's the Greek word anago. And it literally means to leave one place and go to another place. To leave this place of journey to go to another place of journey. It's the idea of a mariner that gets in a ship and goes from one seashore in order to go to another seashore. Now how many of you know you can't get to there until you leave here. You can't arrive on that side until you leave this side. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus went to pray, he had just been down in the Jordan River. He'd just been baptized among all the people. Here's my question. God had just opened up the heavens. He'd just spoken. Why didn't Jesus pray right there? Because he knew there were too many people and this was too busy a place. He had to separate from that place. Beloved, if you're really going to pray, you're going to have to have a place where you really pray. You're going to have to have something set aside. I don't care if it's a closet. I don't care if it's a, a trail where you go on a prayer walk. I've got people in the church. I take prayer walks every day. There are people in the church that kneel down at an altar. We've got people in the church that have got a closet. Some have got a shed out back. Some have got a stump out in the woods. There are some people in their vehicle. That is when they really get a hold of God. But there needs to be a place in your life that is set apart, that is just for that purpose of praying, that when you 
step out from that place and go into that place. It is your way of knowing. Your mind is sparked saying, I'm going to seek after God. I'm headed to go after the mind of God. I mean, if it's in your work van, if it's in your work truck, if it's in your closet at the house, if it's somewhere, it's there's some people right now, you got kids and man, they'll find you. They're like little FBI agents. You can't never get a, get a, get a private moment. It may be a side room. It may be a kitchen table when they lay down for a nap. It may be in your little, it may be in a cubicle at work during lunch hour when you shut out everybody and you come apart from everything and you separate from everything. But if you're really going to get a hold of God, you're going to have to do like Jesus. Now here's the difference between me and you and you and me and Jesus himself. Here's what we do. We try to excuse everything. Well, I can pray right now. I can pray right here. I can pray in this place. And before you know it, you're distracted from everything. Your mind's all torn asunder. But there's something about when you step aside. Now here's Jesus Christ. He'd been in the presence of God in heaven for all of eternity past. He'd heard the holy, holy rings of angel wings as they sang around the glorious throne for all of eternity glorious past. He'd heard the glorious hallelujah worthy is the risen lamb. He'd seen all that, been there, done that. But yet Jesus still separated and came apart and prayed. If anybody could focus, it surely would have been Christ. You've got to come apart and separate. Some people, you're going to have to get up early in the morning. Some people, you're going to have to get apart from all of that. But you've got to go from one place to an... And listen, don't judge where you go based on me. There are people right now. It can be anywhere. And you may have this place, and they may have that place, and they may have that place. I'm not looking for cookie cutters in this house. I'm not looking for everybody to be the same. But I am looking for hearts that all look the same, that are seeking after the things of God and the ways of God. You can find it absolutely anywhere. Adam found it wrapped up in the clothes that Jesus had made for him there in the garden of Eden that shed blood of that lamb. David found it honey at the bottom in the well in the valley in the shadow of death. I believe brother Noah found it in the belly of the ark. Brother Elijah found it inside of a cave. Elisha found it striking arrows down inside of an upper room. Malachi found it under the wings of the son of righteousness that would arise with healing in his wings. John Wildman baptizer found it wrapped in that leather girdle in that cloak a camel's hair. The Lord Jesus found it in a solitary pace. Peter found it out in the wilderness of sorrow and affliction. Paul found it in the belly of a ship that was going down, holding on to the wooden boards. I don't care where you find it. I don't care how you find it. I don't care where you go to get it. But if you're really going to pray, you're going to have to separate from everything and everybody. Number one, separate. Number two, you're going to have to be spirit-led. You need to write that phrase, spirit-led. Jesus said this. It said about the Lord. It said, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. I do not know what Jesus was like. I don't know what he looked like. I don't know what he acted like. I don't know everything about his personality. But I can tell you this. Whenever God told him to go somewhere and pray, he went. There'd be times Jesus would be walking along the way and the disciples were just a-going. And the Bible says they would turn around and he was gone. He'd be going down the way and they were going to get meat. And he'd turn around and he was over by a well witnessing to a woman. How did he get there? The Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. That's a Holy Ghost. 
I love predictability. I do not like, I don't like when I can't know what's going on. How many of you spontaneous people do I have in the house? You love spontaneity. Okay, well, you're weird if you do. I like routine. I like to know what's going on. I like to know what I'm going to eat, when I'm going to eat it. I like to know when I'm going to get up. I like to know where I'm going to get up from. I like to know how I'm going to feel in the morning. You know the problem with routine people? The Holy Ghost don't work on your routine. There are going to be times the Holy Spirit, you'll be driving down the road and He's going to prick your heart to pray. There are going to be times in the middle of the night, you'll be asleep, dead asleep. I mean sleeping better than you've ever slept. And you'll wake up from a dead sleep out of it and the Holy Spirit will be dealing with you to pray. There'll be times you'll be at the job, you'll be working and the Holy Ghost will deal with you to pray. There's going to be times when you're watching TV and the Holy Ghost will deal with you to pray. There's going to be times in church when the Holy Ghost is going to deal with you come down to an altar and pray. I'm telling you the Spirit of God will lead you to do things like you had not ever known. But here's the question. Now you and I have got to understand the Spirit's ways are not my ways. How do I know when God is leading me to pray? How do I know it's the Holy Spirit trying to get my attention and it's not just my idea of my thought, my mindset? I give you three ways you can know that the Spirit of God is wanting you to pray over something. Write these down. Number one, the first way you'll know God is want you to pray whenever you have a need, a desire, or a want that pops up in your life. Whenever you've got something that pops up and it's out of the blue, you've got something that comes into your path, it's a problem, it's an issue, it's a desire, it's a, it's a situation. There's something that comes up, a burden, a dream, a desire, a vision that God's given you. There's a want. You want to do this and you want to do that. Here's my question. If you have have that pop up in your life, why would it pop up in your mind? It would be because God is wanting you to take that thing and give it to Him and cast it upon Him. There are times things will pop up, situations and problems will come into your life and God's bringing that to you to pray. But if you don't pray immediately, that which God meant to be a prayer, the devil will turn into a problem. You ever had something come up in your mind? Now, don't y'all sit there and look at me like this. You ever had something come up in your mind? And before you know it, you start stewing on that thing. And before you know it, you're worried about that thing. And before you know it, you're fretting over that thing. And before you know it, you're tormented over that thing. Do you know why? Because God allowed it to come. So that you would take it and give it to God in prayer. Number two, here's how you'll know the Holy Ghost wants you to pray. He'll let an anxiety come over you. Have you ever, have you ever been walking, talking, sitting, sleeping in the middle of the night and wake up in the middle of the night and just be worried about something? I better get some head nods from some women right now. I mean right now in the house of God. Some of y'all right now are keeping Xanax in business. Y'all worried about so much stuff. <laughs> Torn out of your frame. And I've often wondered, God, why don't you take these away from me? Why would God allow anxiety to come over me? Simple. He wants you to pray about it. 
How do I know? Write this verse down. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6. The apostle Paul says this. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind. Do you see that, second, that, that word there which says in, in Philippians chapter 4 verse number 6. Be careful. Be careful. That's the Greek word which means anxious. Be anxious for nothing. That means don't be worried about anything. Can I ask you a question? If you've got to tell somebody not to be anxious, you know what they probably are? So why would the Apostle Paul tell us not to be anxious? Because anxieties roll over us. Problems roll over us. Situations roll over us. And the Holy Ghost will let that anxiety come to you so you take it to God. Why would God do that? Because we're hard-headed. He's already told us, come morning, come noon, come night. David said, at morning will I pray, and at noon will I pray, and at night will I pray, and during the night watches will I pray. How many of us do that? But you let a problem come your way. Son, you'll spend your life on your face before God. And that's how the Holy Ghost works. He lets those anxieties come because when that anxiety comes, He wants you right then to make a beeline to the cross. Number three, here's how you'll know. The Holy Ghost is leading you to pray. There'll be overwhelming gratitude. You ever wake up in the morning and you're just happy? Some of you have never had, but I mean, I'm talking to the rest of you. I'm looking at some of your faces right now, and I'm pretty sure you've never been happy a day in your life. It's like looking at calves staring at Newgate sometimes, Bill. You know, there are times I get up and honest, I just want to rip my kids' heads off. I mean, pure, blessed, pinch them off, throw them in the, throw them in the pot. I just be done with it. Say amen, Denise. But then there are sometimes I wake up and I just look at them. And tears just, just come. What is that? That's the Holy Ghost. That's the Spirit of God wanting you to be grateful. And take that gratitude and lift it up. Son, there are times just like you, I get frustrated in my, my job. I get frustrated with things. I get frustrated with sick, just like you do. But then there are so many times like this morning, I just cannot believe that God would let me preach. I cannot believe that God would let me pastor. I cannot believe God would let me be on this journey. I cannot believe God would give me the privilege and the opportunity to stand before sweet and holy and precious people like you. And sometimes that's the Holy Ghost way of putting that gratitude on the inside of my soul so that I lift my heart up to heaven and I say, blessed be the name of the Most High God of eternal glory. It's the overwhelming gratitude. There are times you'll hate things, and then when that time comes, that which you used to hate, you're just so overwhelmingly thankful for. It's the Spirit of God leading you to pray. Honey, I'm telling you, it's got to be Spirit-led. Number three, write down this word. If you're really going to pray like Jesus, you better write this down and understand it. It's the word spurned. Spurned. The Bible says, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. I looked up that word wilderness in my, in my Greek concordance, and that word wilderness, it literally means a place barren of people and a lonely region. 
Why would Jesus go into a lonely place to pray for our first example? You know why? Because if you're really going to pray, you're going to be mighty by yourself. You have a good singing, people will come to it. You host a pig picking, son, you won't be able to keep the forks away from the hog. You host an apple cider, apple bobbing, son, there'll be heads all down in that thing bobbing for apples. But you tell people you're going to pray. Even in the church of Jesus Christ. You tell somebody, hey, I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning. They'll say, good. Tell somebody, I'll be fasting and praying on Monday seeking God. They'll say, huh? Tell somebody at your work, you've gotten in religion and you've gotten in down at the local church. They'll say, oh, good for you. I hope you make a positive turn in your life. You start telling somebody, I'm hunkering down with the God of heaven and I'm fasting and praying and getting along with God every morning until God breaks through in my situation. They'll say, fanatic. It's a lonely place praying. You tell a preacher you want methodology, he'll give you methodology. You tell a preacher you want practice and procedure, he'll say, yes, now we're on track. But you tell a preacher, a pastor, the only way to build a church is to pray. You won't be booked on many revivals. It's a lonely place. Some of you are going to have to get used to that lonely place. Some of you are going to have to be used right now to a lonely marriage because you're not yoked up together with somebody that really is hooked into God. Some of you right now are going to have to be in a lonely place when it comes to your children simply because they have not caught the burden. There are some teenagers and college kids and young adults in this room and your parents have not quite caught the burden of what God has put in your soul and God has put in your mind. There were some kids here this morning in the 9 a.m. service. I could not believe it. Young adults and college kids, all by them, they came to the house of God. They would sit here in the middle. They were just all by, all by themselves. Parents wouldn't come. Parents aren't here at 11 o'clock. They, they they won't come. And I look at them and I say, what will do that? How can a child push through that? You know why? They've learned that walking with Christ is a lonely place. I wish I could tell you everybody was going to applaud you when you set out to pray, but they're really not. In fact, they may find a cross and try to stick you on it. I wish I could tell you it was an easy road to hoe whenever you really set out with Jesus. I wish I could tell you boss was going to be on board. I wish I could tell you everybody in your life was going to be on board. I wish I could tell you your family was going to be on board. I cannot do that. Oh, but beloved child of God, may I remind you this morning when your boss isn't on board with it and your family's not on board with it, there's one bigger than your boss that's on board with it and there's one bigger than your family that's on board with it. There's an eternal God that fills up the heavens and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. God's on board and you've got everything you need. Listen. It may be a lonely place, but it's not a forsaken place because God was there. But number four, somebody else was there. A fourth word you're going to have to write down if you're really going to pray, it's going to be a place of struggle. The Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know, that day when Jesus went out and began 40 days and 40 nights of prayer and fasting, God the Father was there and we say hallelujah. God the Son was there and we say hallelujah. God the Holy Ghost was there and we say hallelujah. The unholy hallelujah of that is this, the devil was there. The devil showed up when Jesus went out. The devil came to bother him. Ladies and gentlemen, 
I wish I could tell you praying is an easy thing. Praying is the hardest thing you'll ever really do. Praying is the most difficult thing you'll ever really process. Really praying and really getting a hold of God is one of the most difficult things you have ever tried to accomplish in your life. You know why? It's not you. That's what the devil wants you to think. He wants you to think you don't know what you're doing. He wants you to think God's not really listening. He wants you to think you've not really accomplished anything. He wants you to think you're the problem. He wants you to think nobody cares. But what he doesn't tell you is he has showed up to oppress you. He has showed up to push you aside. He has showed up to resist you. Ladies and gentlemen, I remind you right now when you sit down to pray, it would be really, really easy to say that's the devil if he came out with his horns and he had his pitchfork and a big long pointed tail. But that's not how he shows up. How does he show up? I'll give you two words. Number one, the Bible says this about Jesus. The devil went out to tempt. Him. Look up that word tempt in any concordance. That's what that word means. It means to entice. To entice. What does that look like? Well, here's what it looks like. It looks like when you're praying, there'll be all types of distractions to stop you from praying. Okay, good. Glad we're on the same page with this whole situation. Let me put it down in shoe leather. You ever really gone out to pray somewhere? And you carried with you that $1,000 tumor called a cell phone. And you'll be praying and all of a sudden you'll hear, Of all the time for that person to call, they called right in the middle of praying. You know what that is? That's the devil trying to stop you. You ever been praying? And I mean, it doesn't matter what time of day. It can be the middle of the night. It can be the middle of the morning. It can be noontime. It can be any time you possibly want to pray. And that's when you think about the thing you forgot to do back yonder. That's when you think about somebody that didn't speak to you. That's when you think about the pro- listen. I can be watching a basket. I don't watch basketball. I could be watching a foot. I don't even watch football. I-, I could be watching a documentary. That's what I watch. I could be watching a documentary, and God will say, "Pray." Now I've been watching this documentary for forty-five minutes, but the second I set out to pray. That's when I think about so-and-so that's mad, so-and-so that didn't speak, so-and-so that's upset. Where was that the last 45 minutes? Could it be the devil sent that into the prayer time to entice you? You ever been praying and all of a sudden you start worrying about your kids? That's when you start worrying about not having enough money to pay the bills. That's when you start worrying about your health. That's when you start thinking about this and that. What is that from? That's the devil sent to entice you. There's a second one, and I hope this will help somebody. The devil was sent. The Bible says tempted. The second way that God, the devil will keep you from praying is that word devil. It's the, the Greek word diabolos. It literally means to accuse and falsely slander. Have you ever been praying and the devil start, or in your mind, you don't know if it's the devil, in your mind something starts saying, you know you're not praying right. 
You know you really don't know it. You know nobody's listening. You do know that you're a... You, do you really remember what you used to... You do know they don't think... that. You do know that you don't... You, you, you do know, ladies and gentlemen, anytime when you pray and you are the focus and you are the problem and you are the subject and you are what's being brought up and you are what's being remembered, anytime that you, 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 it is the devil trying to accuse you and slander you. You know why? Prayer is not about me and it's not about you. And anytime that I become the subject, it's because the devil is trying to distract me. I can tell you right now, when I pray, whether I get through or whether I don't get through, whether I struggle or whether I don't struggle, it's not anything I am that gets my prayers answered. It's the Father listening to His Son, my Savior, at His right hand, my advocate Jesus Christ is the reason any prayer is ever answered. And when you realize you are not the problem, you will start praying like Jesus prayed. A church full of people praying like Christ. What would happen? A family with a mother or father praying like Jesus. What would happen? A son or a daughter praying for parents like Jesus. What would happen?